Darkcast Network. Welcome to the dark side of podcasting. Welcome to Murder and Mimosas, a true crime podcast brought to you by a mother and daughter duo, bringing you murder stories with the mimosas in hand. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosa. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assault. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Hello, welcome to Wicked Wednesday edition. I'm Shannon. And I'm Danica. So we're here to tell you our Wicked Wednesday scary stories. So let's get started. Went surfing by myself at Macapoo Grill early one morning. There was no one else on the beach, nor anyone parked in lots. As I was walking towards the water, I could hear what sounded like a baby crying. figured, ah, it's probably an animal or something making noise. Got in the water and five minutes later, I could still hear the crying. But this time it was louder and sounded like multiple babies. I started to get freaked out, but figured I'd just stay a little longer. I finally left when the voices crying started to shout my name. John! John! Ever served Mark's alone in the morning since then? That crap really messed me up. In my hometown, there's a garden center where my friend works. It used to be an old farm. My friend would come to work early in the morning around 5 a.m. to get things ready for the day. It was a fairly busy center. During the fall, it would not get get light out until almost 8 or so. He came to work the other day and was getting the shop set up when he noticed a small, barefoot boy wearing bib overalls watching him. He looked at the boy full on and asked what he was doing there. The boy just smiled and walked behind a tractor. My friend ran over there. To see what he was doing, but there was no one there. About that time, an old employee showed up and he asked him if he had seen a little boy in bibs. The old man looked at him sharply and said, so he showed himself to you too. Apparently, the boy died in a farming accident and from time to time shows up to see what's going on at the farm. A friend was doing rotations at Wilmack Army Hospital at Fort Bragg. Had to take some boxes down into the basement storage room across the hall from the morgue. When he got almost to the storage, he looked up and found he was looking at a confused woman in the hospital patient garb who asked him, Where am I? He turned to reach the door signs, and when he turned back, she was gone. 
There are several other incidents that have happened in the coal mine while I was there. I helped spray powdered limestone dust the mine several times working with a guy from West Virginia who is very experienced in dusting. One day after the Reese incident, he confided in me his own experience. The coal seams back in West Virginia are only about 16 inches tall. The mine had a rail system to take the miners in and out and a separate train to take the coal out. He was scheduled to dust a particular section just off the main line. So the train stopped, and as he got off, everyone waved to him as the train left. He went through the main door to start working in the section. He worked all day in the closed, loud section. When it was time to go home at the end of the shift, he went out the main door to find the train waiting for him, which was unusual. Most times he had to wait for the train to show up. When he got into the train car, everyone in there moved out of the way and no one would sit by him or talk to him. They just smiled at him. Miners usually play jokes on each other, so this was pretty normal to him. He got off the train, just shy of the main entry portal, and went into the mine office to report what he had done for the day. Everyone stared at him and wanted to know how he was there. He explained that he rode the train out just like every day he had worked before. They called him a liar and were going to fire him. He told them to ask the guys he rode on the train with. They asked if he was trying to be funny. Finally, he took them back into the mine to show them what he had done. It was there that they told him that the train had lost its brakes and had plummeted to the bottom of the mine, killing everyone just after he had gotten off. So he could not have ridden the train. But he did. returning for the service in 2009, I was in Iraq working as a contractor. My job entailed traveling all over the country, making sure specific things got done. Sounds like a lot, but it really wasn't. In the end of August of that year, I was detailed up to Mosul. I traveled work out of the issues and on the way back, I was directed to go through Balad to which to hitch a rod back to Baghdad. While waiting for the ride in the air terminal, there was a battalion of army support for folks who was also traveling. Many of them were sick, cough, and hacking up a lung. I tried to stay far away from them as I could. My travel continued without them, but I was to live to regret it. A week later, I came down with a swine flu, thanks to all the coughing and hacking. Hogs back at the airport terminal. I went to the doctor on the post, and because I was retired military, I was seen. He said that I was to immediately go into quarantine. My barracks did not have individual individual bathrooms, so I was led to the truck by my buddy and driven five miles to the other side of the base complex to Camp Liberty. I was sent down the road past the PX, on down to the right-hand side past the Y. If you've been there, you'll understand. 
and almost to the end of the road. Two large campsites short down by the wreck yard where they brought all the destroyed vehicles. Then way back to almost the eastern outside wall of the camp, I was the one camp short of the wall. The camps were about 20 trailers long, all surrounded by concrete T-walls. You could trap between the rows. Then 10 of the rows wide made up a camp with a large space to drive semi-trucks between the camps. My hut was the one on the end. It connected to another living space through a shared bathroom. My buddy kicked me out of the truck and I walked between the T-walls up to the door and opened it. The dust on the floor didn't bother me at first. Everything is dusty in Iraq. My buddy followed me in and we looked at the dusty, dusty accommodations. I walked over and flipped the mattress over to a clean side and sat down. The room had a desk, a walk-in closet, and a shared bathroom. It also had an air conditioner that, when turned on, pumped out very cool, sweet-smelling air. It was then when I noticed the calendar hanging on the wall, July 2007, two years before. My buddy told me he would go and pick up my poncho liner and laptop that was in my day pack so I could watch movies while I waited out my seven days of quarantine. He also told me he would bring me meals during the day I was staying. I thanked him and he left. It was mid-afternoon and I was tired. So I laid down and tried to breathe while resting, feeling sick as a dog. It was then in the quiet that I thought I heard someone talking outside. I could not catch the conversation, which bothered me some as I could not hear if they were speaking English or Pharisee. The hut door was locked and I went on through the bathroom to see if the other hut door was locked, which it was. I kept the lights off so no one knew I was there and would come looking for me. When my buddy came back, I told him what happened. It was getting dark by then. He had brought my laptop, poncho liner, and and afterthought he included the nice tanto knife I traveled with as I was not supposed to have a firearm for some reason. He left and I curled up in my poncho liner and was soon fast asleep. I woke up later that night, sleeping on my side, facing the wall. It grown quiet dark in the room. Still facing the wall, I could hear a voice speaking quietly, softly, but distinctly. You ask him. No, you ask him. At this point, I was wide awake and staring at the wall. Did I forget to lock the door? Who was in here with me? Something kicked the bed frame, and I thought someone was just trying to figure out why I was sleeping in the room. So I rolled over and looked around. No one was in the room. I got up, and I checked the doors and under the bed. You could say I was somewhat shaken by the encounter so far. After everything was checked, including the closet, yeah, I'm a big scary cat, retired Green Beret. I turned on the closet light that closed the door almost to. So I was in the shadows in the room. The room was locked so I could see. If someone was messing with me, I was not going to take it. I was sick and feeling pretty crappy. This time I wrapped up in the poncho liner facing the room. Things got quiet after a while, so I drifted off to sleep. I was again waking about an hour later by those same boys asking me the same 
thing, only this time a voice stated clearly, I'll ask him. It was at this time I was laying on my back and something clipped up on the bed and sat at my feet like you would do during the sit-up event for physical training. Needless to say, I was wide awake and they had my full attention. With a sharp intake of breath, what or whoever, whoever was sitting on my feet jumped off. I sat up there and no one in the room that I could see. The smell in the room, which was cool, dusty, turned into a sharp burn smell. I thought it was coming from the air conditioner and got up to check. While my back was turned, I heard the voice say distinctly again, Ask him. I told them in my best SGM voice to stand easy and I would be with them in a minute. I walked to the door and went outside, leaving the door open. It was early morning, around 0400 hours. The sun was just starting to light up the sky. I sat down on the steps and waited for my buddy. At 0600, he showed up and looked at me strangely, asking why I was out on the steps as he handed me my breakfast. I told him we were leaving. He laughed and said, no, you have six more days of quarantine and go back inside and relax. I told him, no, I'm good. When I was just starting in the Emory coal mine, I was a red hat, being one of those who could not be left alone or put in the mine by himself. To get the coal out of the seam, they dig five tunnels into the coal seam and labeled them one through five. Tunnels one and two brought in clean air from outside and across the face where they were using the continuous miner to cut the coal seam into little chunks. Picture a crab with a horizontal cylinder on the front with spikes that tore up the coal when it spun or rolled around. Tunnels four and five took the quote, bad air from the face to back outside the mine. The mineral tunnel number three was neutral air and held the belt line that dumped the coal from the shuttle car onto the belt till it hit a corner where the coal was dumped onto another belt till it was eventually dumped outside in a large pile. Between the tunnels, they cut cross-cut tunnels into each of the tunnels, then closed off the cross-cuts surrounding tunnel three so the air would move down and around. Every fourth crosscut had a small door in the stoppage walls so you could move laterally from tunnel to tunnel as needed. One day, I was told that one of the belt lines had shut down and the other belt had filled the junction with coal that needed to be shoveled back onto the belt. I told it was, I was told it was okay as I was just down the entry tunnel from a working section and if anything happened, I was to walk up to the section or call on the mine phone located at the belt junctions. They had just sprayed powdered limestone on the surface of the coal down in that section of the belt. This was to keep explosions down due to coal dust. I rose into the mine with the section personnel and got off where they showed me to dig the belt out. The coal was almost up to the roof when I got there. The belt line went up into darkness. After several hours of shoveling, I noticed that someone was coming down that hill towards me, and it looked like they were trying to be sneaky by holding their hand over the light on their hard hat as it was flickering while they walked. The other miners liked to play jokes on each other, especially the new guys. Thought it was just one of those times. I walked up the hill till I was across from a crosscut and jumping the belt, walked into the crosscut, turned off my light, and stood next to the corner, using my shovel as a bat, waiting for the guy to come get me. 
The person walked up to just short of the corner and looked around. It was then I noticed that you could see my footprints in the powdered limestone showing up as black steps where I walked. The person stepped back and walked up the hill. I waited for a second and then jumped out, turning on my light to catch him. Footsteps coming down the hill could clearly be seen coming down the hill, stop, turn around, and go back up the hill to the next crosscut. The two set of footprints were separated by several feet. I jumped across the belt and ran up the hill to catch the guy at the next crosscut, which is a blind stoppage wall, no door. When I got to where I could see into the crosscut, the footprints went into it and up to the wall with a heel print at the bottom of the wall. I stood there trying to figure it out for some time, then decided I should not be there by myself. I walked down to the mine phone and called the section, saying that there was no water down there and could I come up and get some. They said, sure, come up and get some. I walked rather fast to the section break area and sat down. They'd built a small kitchen break area to eat lunch in. One of the guys handed me a case of water bags and said, go back to work. I said, no. The section boss was sitting there and was pretty insistent that I go back to the belt area and go back to work. I told him no. He called the shift boss, who said I was to be fired and to keep me there. The guys from the section tried to persuade me to go back to work. I said no. The shift super was on his way. The section boss asked why I would not go back. I told him to go down and look at the situation and then decide if I needed to be down there by myself. He left and came back directly sitting next to me, drinking several bags of water before he could speak. About that time, the shift super came to the section and told me to get on the tractor. He was taking me out of the mine. The section boss told him to wait up and asked him to follow him down to the belt line as I sat on the tractor. The guys in the section were again trying to get me to go back down and just go work so I would not be fired. After about 15 minutes, both came back and asked me if I saw him. I said no, but he was just around the corner from me, and I thought it was one of the guys from the section trying to play a joke on me. I told him what happened just as it had happened, leaving out nothing. The whole section was there to hear it in silence. The super said the belt junction was shoveled out good enough, and that I was to stay with the section and help out as needed. I was not in trouble, nor going to be fired. I reluctantly got off the tractor. The super turned to the rest of the section and said, Be careful, Reese is out and about. This shocked the crew, and I, being new, did not know what that meant. After the super left the section, boss out to help ten cables of the continuous miner so the miner would not run over them for the rest of the shift. Pretty easy work. Once back outside after the ship shift, I had several visitors. The foreman of the whole mine came by to ask questions and show him on a map where the incident occurred. Several old hands that walked the mine sampling the air a different location called Fire Bosses, also came by to chat. I still could not figure out what was going on. Finally, one of the Fire Bosses came up after everyone had left and pulled me aside and told me what was happening. I thought I was still in trouble. In the mid-40s, the mine was being operated by a small crew mining, mostly by hand. They had imported one of the first continuous miners in the state. For lunch, they would go out to the entrance portal and sit down, make a fire, and eat lunch. One windy day, the fire got out of hand and started the mine on fire. It took two weeks, along with a company of National Guard soldiers helping to get the fire under control. The continuous miner was still in the mine, and they were going to blow up the entry portal to seal the air from getting into the mine and extinguish the fire. 
Al Reese and another guy volunteered to go into the mine and hook chains to the equipment so they could pull it out of the mine and not lose thousands of dollars when they collapsed the tunnel. The two went into the mine and hooked up the chain. The folks at the portal pulled up the equipment to find the other volunteer sitting on the miner, dead. Oxygen that had burned off down in the mine. Al's body was never recovered. From time to time, he shows up, mostly down by the old works. He wears leather walking boots instead of steel toe rubber boots issued at the miner, to a miner at the time. He uses a carburetor light on his hat that flickers instead of the battery-equipped one miners use nowadays. We always recommend more bubbly and less OJ. Cheers! If you'd like to see pictures from today's episode, you can find us at murder.mimosas on Instagram. You can also find us at murder.mimosas on TikTok, Twitter. And if you have a case you would like us to do, you can send that to murder.mimosas at gmail.com. And lastly, we are on Facebook at Murder and Mimosas Podcast, where you can interact with us there. We love any type of feedback you can give us, so please rate and review us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.